How are you? You excited about spring? Yeah. Have faith, brother. <laughs> Some faith. Please. Changes everything. And um, as you know, as a nation, we are still grieving the loss of the 16 people that died in that uh, in the horrific uh, Humboldt Broncos bus crash uh, on Friday, April 6th. And, in, and we Canadians all over the country are, are showing their support and um, sympathy to the families of the victims. And also churches all over the nation are praying uh, to God for comfort and peace for the families. And also this week, there was a video. Um, there was a, a vigil that was held in, in the, the memory of the victims of the, of the bus crash. And I heard to the pastor of the team, I, I don't know how many have watched that video on Facebook or social media, YouTube. Yeah, some, some of you. They held a vigil, and the, the pastor, the, the Humboldt Broncos pastor, his name is uh, Sean Brando, he raised these questions at the beginning of his uh, short message. He, says, he said, why did this happen, and where was God when all this happened? And then he, he read from Psalm 23 and Psalm 34, putting the focus in Jesus and his work and sufferings of the cross. And he also mentioned briefly uh, the events of the resurrection of the Lord and his ascension to heaven. And he shared this amazing, touching message of hope to a bunch, you know, whole lot of people in that place, you know, gathering, um, remembering uh, the lives of those who who died in this uh, horrible accident. We know that Jesus, He's Lord, He's and He's truly in control of everything. Amen. Even though there are things that only He knows why they happened. All this helped me to remember the times that I have also asked God, "Where are you, God, right now? And why did why why is this happening to me? Have you been there?" You know, asking God those questions. Why God and where are you, God? And I believe that all of us here in this room, we have had those questions before. The Bible declares that God in His, in his wisdom have chosen to keep many secrets to Himself. That's, we, we can read about that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. But there are certain things that He has revealed to us, even, even more. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul says, for in part we know, for in part we know, we just have a little knowledge of the infinite wisdom of God, but we can know it all, only he, only he knows everything. We know in part, and that is why we, we walk this life by faith and not by sight, that's what makes faith, you know, something that we need every day. Faith is necessary. Last Sunday we talked about the resurrection of Jesus and his invitation to come Remember, to him and see him in glory, the Lord inviting Mary Magdalene and the, and the other Mary to come and see the tomb. And then the Lord appearing to, to both of them. And then um, the Lord gave, gave them the instructions of going and meeting the, the, the rest of the disciples with the mission of giving to them the good news. The Lord is risen. He is alive. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the Lord is alive. Jesus is alive. Come on, he is alive. He's not dead, he's alive. He's alive in here. He's alive here with us. He's alive in the world and he's working. 
Um, somehow the news of Jesus' resurrection was quickly rejected by his very same disciples. If you read the gospel, you will, you will see them saying, I can't believe it, it's impossible. The, 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 the disciples had already heard before the promise that Jesus would rise from the dead. They had seen his power before when he stopped the waves and uh, he quieted the, the winds, remember? In the book of Mark, he... They, they, they have seen Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish and, with every, and, and, and they experience the power of God, the power of Jesus, seeing him performing amazing miracles. They had seen it all and yet they let the unbelief of the world around them, the unbelief of the world around them and its doubts to conquer their hearts. They hardened their hearts and couldn't believe that he was there. That he was coming to meet them one more time. And probably in those troubled times, the the disciples were asking themselves the same questions. Why God and where are you, God, right now? But as we will see today, sometimes we Christians, despite all the years of church that we have in our shoulders, despite all the miracles that we have witnessed or, you know, Despite all the experience that we had with Jesus before, sometimes we Christians, we also struggle with unbelief and doubts. You know, it seems weird, but it's true. We Christians, we also struggle with unbelief and doubts. Why? Because we are surrounded by a world that is constantly telling us there's no hope, there's no faith, there's no future. So today... Let me share with you a a short message that I have entitled, The Remedy for Unbelief and Doubt. The Remedy for Unbelief and Doubt. We know that this this world is sick, you know. It's sick. This world is sick. It's suffering the effects of unbelief and doubts since the beginning, since the fall in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. The world is suffering. And we have hope, and we have the hope of Jesus And we have faith, the faith of God, that we need to share to this world. The first thing that I want to tell you is that unbelief and doubt are the standard of this world. And if you have a bulletin in your hands, you can fill in that word. That unbelief and doubt, they are the standard, they are the norm of this world. You know, with so much fake news going on on Facebook and social media, we know with so many fake videos and... um, and articles, you know, in different blogs. And it's not surprising that we live in an era of unbelief. In general, people out there, the, in the world we live in, people don't believe in politicians, right? They don't believe in institutions, sadly. A lot of people, they are not believing in, 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 in families anymore. That's why right now the trend of this world is not to get married and to not have children. Isn't it weird for you that in the 60s, families used to have like 10 kids, 12 kids, I don't know. Then in, the, then in the 70s, on the 80s, well, families were still, you know, having children. And probably families were composed by mom and dad and six kids, seven kids. Then in the 90s, you know, the classic sitcoms of the 90s and the 80s, you know, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, someone... Hello? <laughs> Best show ever. Uh, you know the family? They, I think there were three, right? Or two. Two and, uh, and, and oh, three and Will Smith. 
right? <laughs> Who would like to adopt Will Smith? Huh? That would be funny. There you go, Stu. Yeah, Will Smith. And it was, you know, that was the family. Mom, dad, three or four children. Then in the 90s, suddenly, families were mom and dad and two kids. In the year 2000, 2000 maybe it was mom and dad and one kid. And now it's a guy and a girl, or you know what? <laughs> you know that what, what they're teaching to, to our kids in school, right? A guy and a guy, a lady and a lady. Soul family. That's not correct. That's not true. God says the family is man and woman together in marriage. I can go to jail now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? I can. Okay. Doesn't matter. I'm Argentinian. Uh, and now we see the trend right now is this a guy and a lady, they say, okay, let's go live together. No children. A cat, a couple of dogs. We can buy, you know, a couple of cute suits, cost, uh, you know, customs for the for the cat. And you go to a shopping mall, you see a lot of stores that sell those. Isn't that weird? <laughs> and you see those videos and photos of cats everywhere, dogs everywhere. I'm a dog guy, okay? Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, but anyways. And that's family right now. It's just sad. It's just sad. Why? Because there's unbelief. Those, those same children, they saw their, their, their parents maybe fighting, getting into the boards, and they are like, oh, no way I'm going through that again. So there's unbelief in the heart. There's a rejection to any institution out there, family, church, you know, a rejection towards church. It's okay, you don't need a church. Just live out your life and live your faith out in your home. That's okay. And that is not okay. That's what not the Bible says. Schools, everywhere. Some people, they don't even believe in other people. And sometimes they don't even believe in themselves. And this is no different to the times the disciples of Jesus were living. In Matthew 28, we read this. Matthew 28, verse 11. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while, while we were asleep. Verse 14, it says, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story, this news, has been spread among the Jews to this day. This could be one of the first cases or incidents of fake news ever registered in history. You know, a fake news right there. Aye, aye. This evil conspiracy had the goal of denying the truth of Jesus' resurrection... And looking to preserve their religious and political influence over the people, the religious leaders of Jesus' time were forced to conspire together once again. They did it, they did it before. It was not the first sign that, uh, that uh, they um, came out with a plan or with a plot against Jesus. The first sign was a couple of weeks before that, or months before that, when they called Judas. And they started plotting against Jesus to arrest Jesus and crucify him. The religious spirit that we see in that people and that we see in the world right now, the religious spirit is the spirit of deception. 
Its main focus is to try to discredit the truth of the gospel and keep the control of the people. Keep people under their control. Just like the religious leaders in Jesus' time, those who are influenced by this spirit only care about their image, their appearance, their, their power, their position and influence over others. Sadly, our society is being dominated by this kind of spiritual powers. You know, Our schools and universities are the temples of nowadays, where uh, pluralism, re- um, relativism, and many other isms are the doctrines that our children and youth are learning every week. From this front, the truth of the gospel, the truth of, a, of the historical reality of Jesus, of the historical reality of his life, death, resurrection, all that, and all, and all the truth of God, you know, they are permanently being targeted and attacked by this society. While the Bible speaks of the church as the institution that Jesus left on earth to not only prepare people for the life to come, but also to shape and transform this world, because that's our mission. We are the light of this world, and we are the salt of this earth. And you know what the enemy is trying to do? He's trying to, put, to, to bring a religious spirit over us. So we will not fulfill that mission. Because we will only care about appearances and control and power and position. And that's not our mission. Our mission is to impact this world with the truth of the gospel and the love of Jesus. In the Bible, Paul says this about the church. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And Paul says, the pillar and foundation of what? Of the truth. Of the truth. That's what we need to do as a church. We are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And, and if we don't speak up, if we don't show the love of God, if we don't carry with the great commission that Jesus gave us, of making disciples, of transforming this world, of speaking truth and, uh, and bringing hope to this world, then we are not doing our jobs. We are just being controlled by your, by your religious spirit. And that's it. This is the world we live in. This is the reality we face every day. There is a spiritual war taking place everywhere. And we need to be ready to share, proclaim, and, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone, anywhere. Anyone, anywhere. Anyone, anywhere. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. The second point that I want to share with you this morning says, unbelief, listen to me, unbelief, unbelief can harden your heart. Unbelief can harden your heart. I've seen many, many Christians with a, with a, with a hardened heart. That makes no sense. But it's happening in the churches. Why? Because of this religious spirit. Unbelief can harden your heart. As we see in the passage from Matthew that we read before, unbelief and doubt are just part of the arsenal that the enemy is using to control and mislead the people that are out there in the world but also inside the church. Unbelief is a dangerous thing since it can easily harden your heart and separate you from Jesus. In the events that took place after the resurrection of Jesus, we, we, we read that all the disciples, including Peter, who had a revelation of who Jesus was, Including Peter and John had trouble believing that the Lord was risen. Peter. Peter. His trouble with unbelief and doubts. John. All of them. 
They had trouble believing that the Lord was risen. They fought with, the, with unbelief and doubt just like you and me. In Mark 16, 9 to 11, it says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. That was the first evangelist. A lady. The first one bringing the good news that in her past, she was demon-possessed. She went and told those who had been with him, the disciples, the twelve disciples, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive, Jesus was alive, and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. The disciples of Jesus, they were not believing can you imagine this picture? Mary's running as fast as she can towards the house where the disciples were hiding. They were confused and they were heartbroken. They were mourning and weeping. Their master, the teacher, their, you know, their rabbi, the person that looked at them and brought them under his wing was gone. All the dreams they had of sharing with him the kingdom of God, of his uh, reinstating uh, the nation of Israel, of you know, going to Jerusalem and getting rid of uh, the Roman control and government. Seems like that. All of that was not happening. All, all those dreams were shattered that Friday at 3 p.m. when Jesus died. Probably they were asking themselves, why God? And where are you right now? Previous to his arrest, Jesus had warned them that Satan will come to sift all of them like wheat. Satan himself. He promised Peter, Jesus promised Peter, the leader of the twelve, that he had prayed for him that his faith may not fail. Jesus himself was praying for Peter. And, but Peter had failed to do what Jesus asked him to do in that opportunity. He was supposed to be there encouraging and strengthening the faith of his brothers, but somehow he failed to do so. He was one more of them just crying and weeping, now believing that the Lord was alive. Verse 11 of Mark 16 says that when they heard the news that Jesus was alive, when they heard Mary Magdalene's testimony that she had seen him, they simply will not, will not believe it. Will not believe it. In times of afflictions and desperation, I believe that God often needs to ask us, just like he asked not only the disciples, but also Ezekiel. Remember in Ezekiel 37? In the words time of Israel, the worst of the worst, he brought Ezekiel into, and he, uh, he gave him this vision of the valley of dry bones, remember? And he asked this question to him, can these bones live? Do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe there is life in Jesus? Even more, Ezekiel 37 is an interest, interesting chapter since talks about resurrection. So if we want to talk about the doctrine of resurrection... We even have passages in the Old Testament, not only 1 Corinthians 15, or the events of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, or when Paul speaks to the Thessalonians in his first epistle, but also we can go to back to the Old Testament and we see this reality. Jesus, Jesus is risen. He is alive. And just like He is risen alive, we will also experience the same. We will, we will also be called back to life. That's the promise of the resurrection. The gospel tells us that after this incident, Jesus appeared, you know, after the unbelief of the disciples, Jesus appeared to two of them who were walking on their way to the small village of uh, Emmaus, Emmaus, something like that. 
These two disciples came back to the rest of the disciples filled with joy and excitement. And they were ready to give the good news to the rest. But again, they did not believe them. So Jesus sent to them Mary Magdalene first. Then the two disciples that he met in that road. But they were not willing to believe. Finally, Jesus himself appeared to all of them in the house where they were hiding. And you can read this in Mark 16, verse 14. It says, He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Wow. First task of the risen Lord. Come and rebuke his church. And I just tremble to hear this. Lord Jesus, do you need to come today to this church? Do you need to come today to my life and and meet me face to face where I am? And just tell me how my heart is that has become cold as stone? Do you need to come, Lord Jesus, and rebuke them? If you need to do so, just do it. If you need to do that, Lord, just do it. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. This Bible verse shows us that unbelief is one of the most powerful traps of the enemy since it brings with with it a hardness of heart. When you begin to give place to unbelief in your mind and and then your heart begins to harden. First in your mind, then comes to your emotions, your heart. And then praying and spending time with God stop being a necessity, but it's more like, you know, a chore. Attending church or serving God stops being an activity that I enjoy, that I, that I love to do, and it just feels like an obligation, just like a religious duty. And that's it. So how do we overcome unbelief? What's the remedy for unbelief? What's the remedy? I believe Pastor Roy might might speak about this next Sunday. But the story of the conversation between Jesus and the two disciples teaches us that it is the Word of God, the Word of God, and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Bible, Scriptures, and the revelation that brings the Holy Spirit, what breaks our hearts and helps us to open our eyes and recognize Jesus. In Luke 24, 31 and 32, it says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, these two disciples, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? From a cold heart to a burning heart. What's the difference? Scripture. The word of God, the word of Jesus, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, of who Jesus is. That's it. That's the difference. Do you spend time with the Lord? Do you spend time every day with Him? Do you open scriptures? Do you ask the Lord questions? Do you hear God every day? This is what we need to do. Otherwise, our hearts will become cold. Our hearts need to be burning for, for Jesus. Now, Jesus gave His disciples three opportunities to believe in His resurrection. And finally, they did it. And thus they received the promise of the Holy Spirit and also they received the Great Commission. But as you know, one of them, one of them had a difficult, I'm talking about who? Thomas. Thomas. This guy, he needed, a, you know, four opportunities to believe. Mary Magdalene, just one. Those two disciples, just two. The rest of the disciples, the church, they needed three times. They, they, they needed to see Jesus themselves. And now comes Thomas. So the, the following 
point that I want to share with you has this title. Doubt can make you quit. Doubt, my friend, can make you quit. Just like unbelief can make your heart, you know, become hardened or, or you know, unbelief can, can bring or can um, make you to have a, a heart that is just cold towards God. Doubt can make you quit. We read about the conversation between Thomas and Jesus in John 20. It says in verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Number one, he skipped church that Sunday. Was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. He was describing Jesus' crucifixion. I will never believe. One of the disciples. What will happen if we, the church, we start following his path? We, will, we don't believe. What's the hope for this world if we stop believing? He, says, he said, I will never believe. Never believe. Wow. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Have you seen Jesus? I haven't. But I believe. And that's why the Bible says that we are blessed. More blessed. Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. He had traveled with Jesus for three years. He probably knew Jesus very well. He knew all of the things that Jesus taught. He witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed. And he knew that Jesus had been falsely accused and sentenced to be crucified on that cross. He knew Jesus personally and despised that he, and despised all that, he was overcome with doubts and about his resurrection. Being controlled by his, own, by, by his own doubts, he even said to the rest of the disciples, I will never believe again. In other words, I'm done with all this. I quit. I quit. This, the statistics shows that every month there's a thousand of pastors saying the same words. I quit. There are a thousand of Christians saying the same words. I quit. Because we stop believing. Because we are like, ah, oh, I want to I wanna touch, I want to put my fingers, I want to do this, I want to do that, and then I will believe. It's not how it works. Have you ever felt that way? Or do you know some prodigals that have made the decision to stop following Jesus because of doubt or unbelief? Probably you do. If there is something we can learn from this passage, it is that there is hope for the Thomas of this world. There is hope. Jesus is mighty and he's able to pluck the doubts of your heart and plant the seed of faith that does not perish but grow. In this account, the disciples have seen Jesus. Thomas happened to be out, away from the disciples. He was doing something else. Maybe he was you know, trying to cope with pain in other way. I don't know. He was probably devastated because of uh, the murder of Jesus. 
It did not make any sense, and really his world had, some, had come crashing down around him when Jesus died. So the disciples tell Thomas that they have seen Jesus, but he ha- that he has risen from the dead. He looks at them sideways, not believing. He questions them. He's not buying it. You see, his friend has died. It is a terrible thing to lose someone. But I believe that Thomas, all his dreams about this Jesus, they were gone. They were shattered. Now the disciples are saying that Jesus has risen from the dead. And this news is simply too much for Thomas. He doesn't believe. And he doesn't want to believe. He even said, I will never believe. And so he says with some emphasis that he will not believe. He will not believe unless he himself sticks his fingers into the hands inside of Jesus. And eight days later, says the Bible, it's interesting this, Jesus is giving him even some space. You need some space? It's okay, eight days. But I will come back. You need some space right now because you, you feel like I don't want to believe? The Lord will say, okay, you have your eight days. But I will come back. Eight days. A time to think about, about the Lord. The same time, the prodigal had the same time when he realized, I need to come back. I had the same time in my own life where, when I was struggling with doubt and unbelief. Probably you have experienced the same. Eight days. Thomas is with the disciples and Jesus appears to them again. Jesus, who knows everything there is to know, Approaches Thomas and says, here are my hands. <clears throat> Here's my side. Touch them. Feel the wounds. Put your doubts aside. Thomas had said that he needed to put his bare fingers in Jesus' wounds. Now, when face to face with Jesus, he no longer needs to do that. And now he just surrendered before the Lord. He bowed down. He humbled himself. And he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I believe sometimes this is the state of the church. We are almost, you know, at the point of quitting. I'm done. I quit. But Jesus gives us those eight days for a reason. To work in our hearts. Because He will come. He will appear again. And, he, and we will have to decide what to do. Or continue deciding of, you know, not believing in the Lord. Or saying like Thomas, my Lord and my God. So, what's the remedy to doubt? As we learn from this passage, the remedy to doubt is to experience a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. To experience a personal encounter with the glory of Jesus. With the love of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to him and say, I told you to believe, now I will not give you a second chance. No. He loved him so much. Too much. And he said, okay, if you... If for you, if to believe in me will cost that you will have to come and put your fingers in my wounds and touch my side, go ahead, do it. Because I want you to believe. That's what I want. So we see that Jesus takes this opportunity also to a great moment to teach a very important principle about faith. He says that there is a kind of believing that comes by seeing. This is the kind of believing that Thomas possessed. But people can see and still not believe. The Pharisees, for example, they have seen it all. They have seen Lazarus coming out of the grave. And even though they didn't believe in him. The multitudes have seen Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish. And at the end, 
they stop believing in Him. So seeing doesn't guarantee that you will believe. But Jesus then, He says that there is a kind of believing that that comes not by seeing, but that comes through faith. And He says that we are more blessed when we believe through faith and not by depending on sight or depending on being able to touch something. And this is the kind of faith, belief, and convictions that this world cannot and refuses to understand. It's the faith that makes us believe based on the power of the gospel, the authority of the scriptures, and our personal experience with Jesus. And this is what the Lord needs to, what, the, what this world needs to know. The power of faith. Of believing in the Lord. Of believing in Jesus. Amen. I invite the worship team to come to the stage. So today, the Lord, I believe the Lord is here. and he is, uh, He's examining, examining our hearts. He's looking at our hearts right now. Are you a Thomas this morning? Are you struggling with doubts about Jesus, about your life, about your future? Have those doubts brought to you, to you anxiety or depression or something like that? There's hope, my friend. There's hope in Jesus. Or maybe sometimes, you know, we are a little bit like the disciples and we struggle with our own system of belief and we feel the effects of unbelief in our own lives and our hearts become hardened and feels like we are just far away from God or that God is far away from us. Maybe you had a, a bad church experience. Maybe you are wounded, not only by the world, but you are also wounded by the church. What do you do? What do you do? Well, here's the reality. It's not about a religion. We have seen the effects of religion before. We have seen the effects in this piece of scripture. The Pharisees, all the world around them, around the disciples, around Jesus. And how that had affected the disciples' faith. And they were now, after experiencing Jesus, they were trapped and controlled by unbelief and doubts. So what do we do? We come before the Lord we humble ourselves and we believe that He is here that He is in control of everything there are some things in your life that maybe you don't understand you're like why God where are you God what do I do now God and you feel like confused but here's the risen Jesus telling you I'm here I'm here just come if you need to touch me, come and touch me. But I'm here for you. Thomas, I'm here for you. Those eight days were so long. But I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And now we have the invitation from him to come to him. And just like Thomas, surrender our lives before the Lord and says, Jesus, my Lord, and my God. Not only Jesus, the Lord of everything. No, I'm telling you, Jesus is my Lord. My personal Lord and Savior. He's my God. 
My friend, when you do that, you will experience a peace, a level of peace that you have never experienced before. Jesus is all about hope, peace. He's all about forgiveness. He's all about restoration. We have learned that the remedy to unbelief is the word of God. Today, after this service, go home and before you know, turning on the TV and watching the game, spend some time with God. Go to your room, go to your bedroom, go to the bathroom. I don't care where you go. Just go and open scriptures and tell, and tell the Lord, Lord, I want to hear you. I want to hear your voice. What do you think about me? What do you think about this situation in my life? What do you think about my children? What do you think about my marriage? Lord, what's the future for my life? What's my future? What's my purpose? What's my mission? My friend, that will... That's the remedy to unbelief right there. And you will feel that your heart will start, will start burning again. Because you will receive a revelation from the Holy Spirit. He, he will give you a word. He will give you a rhema. He will speak to your heart. And you will understand. And this, you know, when we understand things so good, when we understand that what we're going through is just part of the process that God is using to shape our hearts, to shape our lives, because He's preparing us for a greater future. Then all the unbelief is just gone. Today we have learned also that the remedy to doubts is to have a personal experience with Jesus. A personal experience with Jesus. Not only once, not only that time that you say, Lord Jesus, I accept you, accept you as my Lord and Savior. Not only that time. Every day. A personal encounter with Jesus. Every day. Every day. I invite you to meditate on today's message and ask the Lord to, exa- you know, to, to take a look at your heart. Ask Him to show you if there are even traces of unbelief or doubts in your mind and heart. I invite you to surrender all that to Jesus today. Let's ask for His forgiveness and let us make the decision of trusting and believing in Him every day more and more. Yes, we live in a world filled with suffering and disappointment and... Uh, a world filled with unbelief and doubts. But we have known the truth. And we do not only know it, but we experience it every day. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives life and hope and purpose. Because he has the power to change everything. And now we need to carry this message with us and bring it to this world. This week, the, the, the verse that struck my heart was... John 20, 26, it says again, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And I'm feeling in my spirit that some of us, we, it is like we have locked ourselves inside a room. We have just locked the doors and we're like, Leave me alone. I don't want to see anybody. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. Leave me alone. I just want to deal with my issues by myself. But this is the real word of God to you for this week. Jesus, doesn't matter if you try to lock yourself in. He will come. He will come and He will show up in your life, in your situation, in your reality. He will show up and He will bring life and forgiveness and the answers that you're looking for. He will come. 
He doesn't care if you have the key. He doesn't need you to open the door. There might reason Christ. He can just walk through and show up. Amen. If you need to pray today with us, there's a couple of brothers and sisters that are ready to pray with you. I invite them to come to the front as we sing a slow song, a worship song, and and they will be praying with you and for you. If you need healing in your emotions, in your heart, just come to the front. Let's finish the service praying and worshiping the Lord. If you are sick in your body or sick in your soul, your emotions, in your mind, just come, receive prayer. Bible says there is, there is healing when, when we pray for one another. If you feel like you have been walking away from God and you try to lock yourself in and um, you're like, I don't want to know anything about God, I don't want to know anything about the church, and today you feel touched by this message, not by my words, but by the Word of God, I invite you also to come to the front, receive prayer, and recommit your life to Jesus one more time. There's hope for you. There's a future for you. There's a purpose in everything. God is with you. God is with us, the church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We pray that you bless this message and that you will continue speaking to our hearts. And as we sing, as we have this time of prayer, that you will, that you will move our hearts, Lord, to, uh, to, to have a deeper relationship with you. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit of religion. I rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ the spirit of doubt. I rebuke in the name of the mighty, the mighty name of Jesus. I rebuke the unbelief from our hearts, from our minds. And I, and I talk and I speak to the, to the hardened hearts in this room. And I speak life and I speak hope and faith in Jesus' name. Lord, we are a church that is... That we, we, we are looking for you. We're in a desperately need of more of you, more of your presence. And thank you for this word. Thank you for this message. I pray that you bless your congregation, that we will leave this building, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit, the peace of God, and the love of Jesus. In your name. Let's pray and let's sing.